Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Welcome to episode 12 of the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. My name is Tim and I am the host of this podcast. Uh, I am a lecturer at Table College, if you don't know me and you're listening to this podcast, and um, one of the subjects that I'm lecturing for next year is called Youth Violence and Crime. It's a really interesting topic, and it's something that, um, while I understand it mostly, having to teach this topic has forced me to learn a lot more, which is one of the things why why I love about um, being a lecturer. And... um, I never really knew about the the diversity of definitions of violence until I had to prepare for this subject. Now, before I dig into that, it kind of begs the question, why am I talking about violence on a pod- podcast about youth ministry? Well, it makes me think back to when I was a young youth minister, minister, not the right word, youth leader. And when I was a young youth worker, all sprightly and barely any beard hair on my face um, compared with now. And um, I remember in that period, I was easily intimidated. And um, I've done a lot of work in that space now. But early on in that time, when I would see someone who a young person who was intimidating to me, maybe because they were loud, obnoxious, aggressive, or physically violent, there would be a fear response in me. And my response would be to kind of somewhat avoid them because I didn't know how to deal with them. This was particularly the case when I worked in a youth centre. And um, if anyone who was a youth worker with me in that period is listening to this podcast, you can attest to the fact that I was really good with the good kids, but I was not good with, gosh, the bad kids. It's not that hard to say, is it? I was not good with the bad kids. And when I say the bad kids, I'm doing that in air quotations. And I, I processed that a lot in the years after when I worked in a school as a, as a chaplain following a youth work model. And as I tried really hard to be different in the way that I worked with the young people who were not the good kids in inverted commas. Um, And I I had to understand what it was about those young people who were not the good kids, who were the bad kids that made me um, feel uncomfortable with them. Well, I just didn't know how to respond to their aggressiveness. I didn't know how to respond to... um, the way that they spoke loud and they swore a lot and um, the way that they uh, would talk to one another and they weren't super warm and friendly like I hoped and looked to me like their saviour and Superman and all of that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, So it was intimidating and I was scared of them. And, you know, I was scared of them because I thought that they were going to hurt me. And I didn't know how to deal with them and how to respond to them in a way that was constructive. And I mean, the truth is, I did get hurt by one of them and not severely, but it did lead to me having to get physiotherapy on my lower back. And that issue still plagues me to this day, partly due to my own fault, but we won't 
go down that path um, anyway. Um, and so there, there's a, it's a fair assumption to say that um, my fear of those particular young people um, was not changed by working with them because I didn't change myself in the way that I worked with them. I took away from it my experiences of, of that assault that I experienced and it reinforced my fear of these kind of young people who we see as aggressive and potentially violent. And um, it, it went with me as I worked with young people, this fear of the young people who were loud and angry and swore a lot and that I didn't know how to, how to work with them, how to love them. Um, but one thing that teaching this subject on violence um, and learning some of this stuff um, in preparation for teaching this subject next year is um, that I feel like I have learned a lot about what violence is. And I feel like I've learned a lot about um, why violence exists and some of the, the social contexts behind violence. And um, it, I hope that this podcast doesn't feel like a lecture because I don't want it to feel like a lecture. What I want it to be is me being able to use the things that I'm learning um, as I teach them um, and me being able to share the things that I'm learning from my PhD research so that I can benefit people who are engaging in youth ministry with young people. Um, and of course, you know, as I always say, every podcast, if this um, intrigues you to learn more, then consider studying with us at table because um, in the youth work course, you'll learn more of these kinds of things. Anyway, enough about that. So the first point in uh, looking at what is violence is to understand what is a sociological way of looking at society. So this is what we call the sociological imagination. And it, it doesn't mean that we just use our imagination like it's not real. It means that we are using our um, ability to imagine the connections between things um, and using that as a hypothesis for research or using research as a way to analyze society and make those connections. What am I talking about when I'm talking about connections? Yes, it all sounds very vague. What I'm talking about is making the connection with history and biography. In other words, making the connection between what a person is experiencing and what is happening within society. Making the connection with the way that society is structured, designed, um, various levels of social structures and how that impacts the experience of the individual. Recognizing that people are not islands, people, people's issues don't exist in a vacuum chamber. They are influenced by, by things, forces, um, structures, and other people. And when we're talking about structures, it sounds very vague too. Like I know a lot of people object to sociology because they think, you're always talking about so social structures, like no one takes responsibility for themselves. We're talking about patterns of human relationships, the way that we relate to each other, and not just in interpersonal senses, but also in societal senses, laws, policies, um, public spaces, etc., etc., etc. 
Um, why is that important when we're discussing violence? Well, for us to fully understand what is happening when a person is physically violent, we need to understand the whole context of their lives. One of the things that really opened my eyes up in this discussion was actually um, from a guy who I interviewed on this podcast a few weeks ago, um, Dr. Ben Lohmeyer. So he wrote a book called Youth and um, Violent Performativities. That's the short title. And um, in chapter two of his book, he goes into detail about what is violence. And it's not as simple as we think. We might always think of violence as just a physical thing. And there's nothing other than physical violence. But as we dig into um, different ways of looking at society and different people's experiences, we can actually uncover that there are far more levels of violence than just physical. And when we only look at the physical forms of violence, we're actually diminishing the experiences of people who who are physically violent. And it sounds really strange, doesn't it? It sounds really obscure. It sounds like we're just making it sound like what they're doing is okay. That's not what's happening. What's happening is trying to understand the whole system, the whole story, um, the, the story of the person. And before I go into detail about that, I can't help but think that this is the ways of Jesus. Because when there was the, the woman who was caught in adultery and the priests brought them before Jesus. Um, they they said, Jesus, you know, what are you going to do about this woman? We caught her in adultery. She is a bad person. And according to the, the law of the prophets, she must be stoned to death. And Jesus saw more than what she was doing. She looked behind all of that to the person. She knew the story. Oh, sorry. He knew the story of this, this woman. He knew everything that was happening in her life and he loved her. So I can't help but thinking that if we're going to take an approach to violence that looks for what's happening, looks for structural forces, we're loving even the perpetrators of physical violence. So there are narrow views and broad views of violence. The narrow views of violence are those which I mentioned that just look at violence as physical and um, the problem is it, it is difficult to then define which is a physical violence. Because if you define physical violence, um, you know, as um, just simply uh, one person physically harming another person, it gets a little bit grey because, you know, as um, Ben Lomai said in his book, surgery is harming another person but you're doing it for good. So we don't see it as violence. Um, sometimes in, in order to save someone, as Lohmeyer said, to get them out of the way of an oncoming bus, we might have to hurt them. So just simply harming someone, um, even if it's with passionate force, as the definition of violence goes, isn't enough to define what is violence. One of the main things that helped me to really understand the importance of having a broader view of violence as more than just something physical was something that um, Lohmeyer, he quoted in his book from Howard Serkham. And I'm going to read this quote. It's from page 22 of the book. 
Poor people fight with their bodies. Rich people fight with their money, with lawsuits or hostile takeovers. Deprived of access to diverse forms of capital leaves the poor with only physical violence to affect change in the world, end quote. So what Circum is trying to say here is that when we only look at physical forms of violence, we're actually focusing only on those who have no other option. When um, people often um, don't have any other option because they're they're living in poverty, they're living in lives of exclusion, um, the only way that they can make a difference or bring attention to an issue is usually by violence or they have learned violence because of the way this, because of their upbringing, because of the way that we talk about other people. I'm going to get into that in a second. And um, people who are the elite, you know, the people who are wealthy, um, they have ways of affecting the change in the world that, that are outside of violence through their work, through eloquent conversations, through um, their money, through um, the their voice that they have because they're more um, included within society. So one way when we're looking at a young person who might be aggressive and violent is to see them through this lens of understanding they have experienced so much exclusion, which can be looked at as a form of violence, that they have no other option but to be aggressive and violent in order to affect change in the world, in order to um, draw attention to their experiences, through their pain, their poverty. Um, and um, it, it may feel like this is the only way they know because it is what they have learned. One of the objections that um, people who write about violence have towards these broad definitions of violence is that um, it tends to draw attention away from physical gendered violence, like as we would call it in Australia, domestic violence or gender-based violence, violence against women. But um, the counter that, that Lohmeyer offers in his book is that um, when we look at the bigger picture, uh, when we look at everything that's happening in society, we we tend to we we well we uncover um, that uh, there's more going on. And what I mean by that is um, when we look at um, bigger picture, the bigger picture of what's happening. In society, we discover inequalities in between genders and across classes. Um, I've quoted Ben Lomai there. And that um, when we structure society in a way that advantages men, we are treating women like they are lesser than men. And uh, when we fail to, as a society, speak up against the treatment of women um, as less than men, we are creating a structure of violence against women. There was an ad campaign recently um, about this, like stop it at the start, 
um, you know, the whole thing that we used to hear of, um, oh, if a boy's um, being mean to you, it means he likes you. We're encouraging that violence through that kind of talk because we're treating women like they should expect boys to be aggressive and um, to treat them as less than men. Uh, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about structural violence. One of the big authorities on this topic of violence um, is an author by the last name of Gal Tung. And Gal Tung wrote about this idea of a disconnect between potential and actual. Um, and um, that as a violence in itself. So what that means is when someone is unable to reach their human potential. Um, so their, their potential that they have as a human being is not able to be reached, um, which means they're actual. That's what we're talking about is what they can actually do or what they actually achieve or what they can actually receive. That disconnect, the forces that are causing that are violent. For example, you think about, um, I can't remember what, I don't know what the, the number would be now, but when I used to be really involved with um, World Vision, um, this would have been t 10 years ago, the estimation was that there were 1 billion people in the world who were not having enough to eat every day, who were, and by that I mean they were starving and not by choice, by poverty. And why is that happening? Well, we, we zoom out a bit and we look at, this, the, the greed of, of wealthy nations. We look at um, the exclusion or the, the, the acts of ignoring or dismissing people in poverty or treating them like they're not important. This is a violence because it's preventing them from being able to live a life where they actually just get enough food every day and they die because of um, starvation and health um, complications that could have been prevented, health complications that are caused by their starvation. So this is a violence that um, that is caused by inequality, um, by poverty, and it's something that we can't ignore. And young people are affected by this. Young people in Australia are affected by this. Um, maybe not as much by starvation but by being treated as subhumans. Like policies on child protection and child welfare, um, as Lomai says, uh, tend to treat young people as subhuman, as though all they are is an object that needs to be cared for by an adult, an object that is a dependent and need of protection and control. And this actually dehumanizes young people a bit. We, we think of them as less than adults, less human than adults. This in itself is a violence because we're treating young people, um, we're preventing them from reaching their actuality. Some pretty technical stuff there, but let me give an example of a real life example of where we can see that happening. So at the moment in um, the Perth CBD, uh, this is based on an article by ABC News. Um, I'll link the the article on uh, my Facebook page, on Facebook group. But this article, um, it, 
Ed interviewed John Thompson of Anglicare WA, who works um, in the Street Connect um, arm of um, Anglicare WA, which has a does some homelessness um, services. And uh, sorry, John Thompson is the housing manager, um, but they have a Street Connect service. So they are really connected with um, homeless young people. Um, and what's happening is because young people are being treated as um, less than, you know, being thought of rather as less human than adults, they're being given move on notices by police. The police, instead of seeing them as a person who needs help, are seeing them as a problem to be moved on. And so young people are saying that they don't feel welcome in the CBD. These homeless young people don't feel welcome in the CBD anymore. I, when I first read that, I was like, well, should are we just trying to create a, a society that um, makes homelessness okay by making the city welcoming to homeless? I don't think that's what we're talking about. What we're talking about is making a welcoming space so that these people can receive the support and help they need and be treated as humans, not as subhumans. Um, and and what, what's actually happening for these young people because of this context is they are having to look for help in the outerlying suburbs like Armadale and Midland. And if you're from, um, you know, Metro Perth, um, you'll know that these suburbs are not, there's not enough support services in those suburbs for uh, young people experiencing homeless homelessness. Most of the services are located within the CBD, but if they're being moved on from the CBD, then they can't get the help they need. So our violence is happening because these young people are not able to realise their potential because they're being prevented from receiving help, because there's no, no strategy that includes young people as people. They're just thought of as, well, they should get help from their parents rather than, hey, maybe they're people too. So the violence is that these young people are not being treated as for humans. They're not being given what they need. They're not being treated as capable and um, moral agents who are able to make choices. They're being treated as some a problem that needs to be fixed. And uh, this, is, this is a violence. It's an exclusion. So what does all this mean for youth ministry, though? What does it mean for our churches and the way we do youth ministry? Firstly, I think it means that we need to get some more understanding about the the structural and cultural violences that young people are experiencing. When I say cultural violence, I'm referring to the ways in our culture we kind of justify these things that are happening, these, the, the, these unjust things that are happening. We justify them as normal. That's a cultural violence because we're, we're, we're making it seem like these things are okay. So... Uh, yeah, so number one, we need to learn more. We need to understand more about these structural violences and these cultural violences that young people are experiencing. And the second thing we can do is um, we can try to uh, understand these young people's experiences. 
instead of seeing them as an issue, we can try to understand the person, understand their story. How do they come to be homeless? Why are they homeless? A lot of young people um, in Australia are homeless um, because of experiences of, of abuse and neglect. They themselves have experienced physical and um, other forms of violence within their homes. And so it, they deemed it safer to be on the streets rather than living in their own home. That's just an, one insight into what it's like to be a homeless young people. But um, the other thing is that we can uh, recognise that when we have a youth ministry, we have a potential to tap into the resources of passionate young people who want to make a difference in the world. Um, We can actually use our young people. And when I say that, as soon as I said that, use is probably not the right word. We can mobilise encourage, stir up the young people in our youth ministry to understand that there are young people just like them who have no bed to sleep on each night, who sleep out in the cold and um, are being attacked by insects and mosquitoes and being moved on by police and barely have enough to eat each day and don't get the chance to take care of their bodies. Um, We can help our young people understand what's going on and see what they want to do about it. We can be pleasantly surprised by how passionate young people are and how um, capable they are of making a difference in their world. Um, So we call that consciousness raising, helping people to understand what's happening in their world so they can make a difference in it. Um, One time when I was in youth ministry, there was someone who anonymously donated to every single young person $20. And they said, Whatever you want to do with this money, um, you do it. Listen to what God wants you to do with it. Listen to him and then make a difference in the world with this money. And it was really cool because that demonstrated a real faith in young people that they too can make an impact on the world. They too can be used when they're resourced with things. Um, I was... Uh, had the pleasure of watching and being part of a car wash that we put on with my group of young people that I work with. And we put on a car wash using the money they were given and made more money to give to Compassion. Uh, So this is one way that we can actually use our young people to make a difference on the homeless and on those who are experiencing difficulty. So we can see, show them what's happening and see what they want to do with it. Um, We can speak up for these young people who are experiencing structural violences and we can do, we can donate like in the story that I shared. There's many amazing organizations who are doing things for young people who are violent, like Anglicare WA, Mission Australia, Fusion and more. Now getting back to the topic that we started with, in this last few minutes of this podcast of the violent and aggressive young people. Well, it's the message that we keep coming back to uh, across these episodes of this podcast. When you've got young people in your youth ministry who don't fit the Christian mold, who aren't polite and well-mannered, and you've got the young people who are angry and who swear a lot and who are aggressive and potentially violent, 
what we can do is try to understand what led them to be that way. What in society is happening that is making them feel like that's their only option? Where have they learned that behavior? Where have they learned that aggression is their only option? What can we do to change their situation or to help them to change their situation? How can we learn to look past their aggressiveness, their physical violence, to understand their story and see the human behind the violence? Until next time, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Join the group if you want to continue this conversation or if you want to stay tuned for any future youth ministry gatherings or training events. If listening to this podcast has made you want to know about study, have a think about studying youth work at Tabor College. Check us out at tabor.edu.au. That's T-A-B-O-R.edu.au. We offer lots more courses, so check us out. Until next time, stay misfit.